Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 999. You can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Lael Stone. And Lael is all the way out in Melbourne. Uh, so yet again, it's a, uh, an evening recording for me. Um, so the reason I've brought Lael to the podcast this week is because... Lael is one of the only people I know that, that's kind of talking around this subject matter, which is um, from birth to, I would say, adolescence and working with families around wellness and connection and healthy development. Um, but Lael also has a tagline pretty similar to Cyber Synapse, which is about connection, communication and the education. So this is another podcast for parents, for teachers and for anybody who is working uh, in and around uh, children and young people. So, first of all, Lyle, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And should we just jump straight in with um, the conversations around sex, sexuality, and your pleasure-based sex education program? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, if you would like to start us off with that, <laughs> just we'll just start small, shall we? <laughs> um, look. Um, I mean, look, if I start at the beginning, you know, I, I run workshops for parents on how to talk to your kids about sex. So, and, and some of the talks I do really start with these conversations need to begin when our kids are little. So stuff that people are becoming more aware of, such as calling our body parts by the correct names, by teaching our little ones about boundaries and consent from a young age, you know, so not making them kiss and hug, you know, Annie Janice, hello and goodbye if they don't want to, you know, having autonomy over the body so it starts kind of with parents saying you know the conversations around sex and sexuality start from a very very young age it's not a it's not a a chat you have with your child when they're 12 and they're just starting to go through puberty it's a conversation that's an ongoing conversation that we have and and the reasons why we do this is for many I mean firstly the main reason is for safety for for young kids so that you know they know what good touch and bad touch feels like in the sense of who is allowed to touch them and how that feels you know one of my big things I like to talk about is that we need to imprint in little people what pleasurable touch feels like and I'll be really clear when I clarify this it's it's Mm -hmm. non-sexual touch it is touch about you know gently stroking their arm or gently you know tickling their back with you with your fingernails you know that kind of stuff that they love you know that they go oh that feels really nice so that we're wanting children to know what nice beautiful touch feels like you know and that kind of imprint that I really do believe that we can do when we're when our kids young are setting them up for this actually feels good and this doesn't and for me that ties into my work with teenagers which we'll jump to in a minute around pleasure-based education of actually what feels good because one of the biggest things we see is particularly for young females who are teenagers having sex that it's very painful and that it hurts and so many of the main questions I get is how do I have an orgasm and a lot of that's got to do with massive disconnection with their bodies and not even knowing what feels good you know but being in a situation around sex which is I just have to do this because that's what you do you know or it's about pleasing someone else so that's a big leap there but the reason why we start when our kids are younger is so that firstly it's about them um, being safe with their bodies it's them having autonomy over their bodies and it's also starting the conversations around sex and sexuality from a young age so that parents get a lot of practice having these conversations and it becomes normalized so it becomes a just a normal conversation so that it is not an awkward talk that we're having, you know, when our kids are starting to go through puberty where everyone's feeling really uncomfortable and all parents' stuff is coming up. It's a conversation that has just become one that we do as part of being a family. 
And so, you know, for me, I start with the parents talking about those kind of conversations, which again are age appropriate conversations. So we're not talking to five-year-olds about orgasm and, and, you know, intimacy so much. We're talking about, you know, just how babies get inside tummies. And, and really it's just all about biology for young children. It really is all yeah. about how the body works. And, you know, in my experience, they're like, oh, that's amazing. So actually when I eat food and I, I digest it and then I pull it out, it's brilliant. And, you know, when, yeah. when there's a baby, be made there's a seed and an egg and you know for them there's nothing remotely sexual about it it's just how the body works so again as we inform children it helps them to be educated it, it allows them also again to have a really great connection understanding to how their bodies work particularly as that we then move into the next phase around puberty because yeah. that is often very confusing and can feel you know yeah. It can feel tricky yep. for parents as well. So I, I do workshops for parents firstly on that, how to talk to kids about sex. And then the last year I've been running lots of um, groups for parents who are usually all kind of school friends who all have children around the age of eight and nine and 10 as they're moving into that tween years. And so many of them coming to me going, oh my goodness, their emotions are all over the place and they're behaving like this and their body's changing. So I do another workshop, which is about, okay, what are we looking at here? Um, um, around what we're wanting to educate our kids around their bodies and puberty and all that kind of stuff. But then also let's take it a deeper level to how is our relationship shifting and changing as our kids move through puberty and what is going on for the parent particularly as well in that whole dynamic as they witness their child changing and moving into becoming sexualized because that's a huge thing for a lot of parents. It's yeah. often brings up a lot <laughs> yeah. of feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we yeah, I was going to say I find um, that, that mainly in my therapy practice it tends to be that I spend a lot of time explaining to parents similar things, and mm. particularly for first-time parents, and by that I mean adoptive parents or yes. foster care parents, and they take yes. children on of ages where they mm. haven't had the beginning years as well. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And look, you know, there still is a really strong belief in our culture that, you know, um, you shouldn't talk about sex. There's still a massive blanket of shame around it. And, you know, one of the big questions I always pose parents is, okay, what is your relationship to your own sexuality? What was it like when you were going through puberty? You know, because those feelings and those experiences that you had are going to have an impact on how you have this conversation with your child or the energy you bring to that. So let's look at where you're sitting first so that we can clear out all your baggage so that you can come to your child and say, hey, this is, this is the amazing thing about the human body and intimacy and relationships and what I want for you is to have a really incredible extraordinary you know intimate relationships as you grow and so these are things that we need to know and this is kind of you know the the foundation of, of what that can look like so you know part of my work is not just the education around what we're talking to our kids but it's really getting parents to go okay where am I sitting in this whole scenario here and what does it feel like for me so it's fascinating some of the workshops I run you know when I mention the word pleasure I watch lots of people squirm you know just even saying the word pleasure is like I can't mention the word pleasure to my child and I'm like okay well we're not talking about pleasure to five-year-olds but when we are talking to 12-year-olds we're talking about what sex is is not just about making babies but it can be about pleasure when you are ready to do it because I mean I certainly remember nobody ever talked to me as a teenager about pleasure and about my own body and and what it's actually meant what we're meant to be doing within that so we're wanting to open up these conversations so that we actually are starting to imprint in our young people that sex is not just about you do it because somebody likes you or it's what you should do or you know part of you is like oh yeah that could feel good you know but it really is about understanding how our bodies work and how we do it safely really so that you know that we can have really good imprints around that yeah as, as, as we were just talking before we started recording um so um, just for a, a recap for people who are, mm. are listening, that I, I used to teach PHSE, SRE, mm. sex education. It doesn't matter what letters you give it. Mm. Um, yeah. It's all about sex education. And one of yeah. the things I used to spend a lot of time explaining to the young people is, you know, sex is fun. And yes. it also comes with a load of noises that are going to feel really mm. silly and mm. embarrassing. And, mm. you know, yeah. and it's about accepting that, that there's this whole proliferation of different experiences but then yes. there's also going to be the serious times as well so yes. it's I, I think that what what we're getting at here or what the reason I'm interviewing you really is mm. because if we don't have these conversations yes. what I'm finding in my practice is yes. the education's being sought via the pornography absolutely 100 percent yeah and yeah 
Yeah, look, and I mean, as well as doing that work with parents, I also teach sex education in high schools, that much what you do. And so I stumbled across that really, it wasn't on my radar of what I was doing. You know, my background is in childbirth and I've been a childbirth educator for a long time. And so I started to go into some schools to teach them about childbirth because the science teachers were like, I don't know what to say. So can you come and talk to them? And I was like, yeah, great. And, you know, that felt like a really great opportunity for me because I'm very passionate about positive birth and and I feel that we do also need to give young people um, a whole other education understanding about how amazing the human body is, how transforming birth can be, you know, and that it isn't what we see on television and Hollywood birth. You know, there's a whole other realm out there of how amazing childbirth can be. So I was really passionate about coming in and, and imprinting kids at a young age to say, you know, our bodies are extraordinary, birth can be amazing, this is what's possible and this yeah. is how our bodies work. But then it kind of led on to, you know, well, they're not really talking about pornography and we're not talking about consent and we're not talking about pleasure and so I found myself just going oh my goodness nobody's really talking about this in a way that these children need to hear or the information that I desperately wished I had been told when I was a teenager you know I, I often joke in some of my adult workshops I would have saved myself so much bad experiences and bad sex if I had have known these these little bits of information even just about hormones and how the vulva and the vagina works and and what the clitoris you know how it is and its structure and its form and and how women we often need to feel safe to even feel aroused before our body feels ready you know to reach any form of pleasure and um you know and again what what we're seeing and what I talk about with these kids is obviously what pornography offers them is the only education out there for a lot of people because parents aren't talking to their kids mm-hmm. about it they really they might give the chat around you have to wear condoms don't get an STI and don't get pregnant but they're not talking about pleasure and they're not talking about intimacy and relationships Ships, usually because they're feeling, you know, they've got their own hang-ups around it. And so therefore I was like, well, there needs to be something else. And, and one of the main comments I get from any class I teach in high school is the kids come up to me and say, thank you. Nobody's talking to us about this. All I want was an adult to ask all the questions to where I'm going to get the right answers. And I start off my classes going, there is nothing off the table here. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about, whatever you've seen in porn, whatever you've heard, like everything. I'm open to talk about everything because I want you guys to get the right information. So let's go. And straight away they're like, brilliant, right? And there's often lots of laughs and there's embarrassment, but for them, not me, but um, to then go, okay, here's what you really want to know, you know, and, and look, one of the big conversations I spend a lot of time talking about is anal sex, because that's one of the biggest things that's yeah. sprouted as normal in pornography now. And, you know, we have really big candid conversations around what that's about. If you were going to do it, how we do it safely, how the body responds, how it works, you know, and again, that's, these kids have no idea because all they're seeing is these images of people going for it straight away without, you know, any preparation, well, consent, all those yeah. kind of things. Yeah, I think that's the mis- misinformation about what pleasure is, isn't it? Is because, mm. and I think, bearing in mind this is going to go out on audio, I think the best way I can do this is to say that the noises that are made, I was doing that thinking thing then, um, <laughs> that the, the noises that are made that the children are in- interpreting as pleasure-based because mm, they say, yes. well, you know, the woman goes, ooh, 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 ah, ah, ah. Well, that must yes. mean that she's enjoying it. And I... I yes used to sit with yes. the, the young people and say, okay, have you ever looked at her face? Yes, what does yes. it actually look like? Does it look like yes. she really is enjoying herself? Mm-hmm. And and then and then what I would do is an exercise in, okay, so look like you're pretending to enjoy yourself and then look like you mm-hmm. are enjoying and, and of course they're yes. they're all giggling and pointing. I get it. Yeah. Because yes. uh, you know, I would even explain how long do you think it takes to make this five minute mm-hmm. video? Mm-hmm. It takes at least a full day, maybe even yes. a day and a half. And yes, you can see yes. them going, really? Yes, totally. Yeah. Or I even take it a step further to say, if you were to look at a woman's vulva and vagina, when she's excited and aroused, she has all this blood flow that moves that part of her body and it becomes engorged and you can see that it, it's open and it's ready for that pleasure. And we're definitely not seeing that in pornography if you were to really look and examine what that looks like. And so much of it is acting, as you say, and it's, you know, this is for, for the industry. It's for, yeah. for this billion dollar industry, you know, that's serving a purpose, you know, to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that it might have been when I was talking with Suzanne Black, actually, that we talked about that 
some of the some of the young girls in therapy. So I do talk a heck of a lot with my clients about uh, mm. sex and pornography because mm. it's it's a totally open therapy room. Mine, yes, and I'm, great. I'm able to sit with the the children and talk about you know, well, have you ever looked at your own vulva? Do you know mm. what it looks like? And you yes. can see them going, I beg your pardon. Yes. Say, well, yes. Do, do you know what you look like? Do you know how yes. you work? Yes. Um, and, and quite often I've talked to uh, young men about the type of pornography that they're watching. And I say, mm-hmm. but are you watching? Because mm-hmm. uh, what I might do is I might sometimes say to them, so the research, if I was looking at mm-hmm. a piece of research, I know that your eyes are literally looking at the vulva. Mm-hmm. You're not even looking mm-hmm. at the penis and going into the vulva. Mm-hmm. The way that the, the eye tracking mm-hmm. software works, mm-hmm. uh, women will scan the entire body. They will go mm-hmm. up to faces. They will come mm-hmm. back. They will do this whole mm-hmm. search searching orientating response with their eyes whereas males will literally go to Mm. the sexual organ of the female Mm. because they don't want to see the male they don't want to look at his face and see if he's enjoying it so I have conversations about well next time you're watching pornography have a look at what he looks like (gasps) I'm not doing that calf you know yes yes amazing amazing yeah 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 it's so important and I think you know we we I I said parents you can't not not have these conversations anymore because mm-hmm. we have the biggest educator out there for for kids with the internet you know it was very different to our generation you might have found your dad's playboy you know or there was a some crazy vhs video that you might have watched you know that you stumbled across um but you know now it's we can watch it on the bus on the way home from school you know and so therefore we have to counteract this huge huge influence on our children by not only modeling how healthy relationships and intimacy in our own families. And again, I'll be really clear what I mean by this is that's about, you know, hugging and tender touch and and being kind to each other and those kind of things, like really imprinting what healthy relationships look like in the family. Um, We do need to have these conversations with our children because if we don't, we're doing a massive disservice. And I'm sure you're so well aware of all the ramifications of, of young people watching porn from a really young age and what it does to their brains and what it sets up in their whole system around sexuality and intimacy and all those kind of things it's really really you know detrimental and you know and I think we just have to offer a counter um information for kids and and as uncomfortable as it is for parents I often say to them look you need to stretch out of your comfort zone a bit have a practice having this conversation with another adult if that'll help you feel better you know I even have some clients where I say to them stand in front of the mirror and just say the word vagina or vulva or just get practice saying it so that it you know get all that kind of silliness or awkwardness out so that you can actually have these conversations with your kids because it is just so imperative in this world that we're living in today yeah and it's it's not it's not liberal parent it's so I often get called a liberal parent because Mm -hmm. I I am uh, like myself open with my children open Mm -hmm. with um my children's friends it's always been Mm -hmm. one of those one of those Mm -hmm. places where the the my children's friends would say something, the children that I would be teaching um, mm. would say, you know, so so you don't mind me asking you anything then, Kath? Well, yeah, no, beautiful. not at all, because yes. the, the Great. thing about giving me a question is if I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you I don't know the answer. Totally. Because yes. Because there's also something about, oh, I've never heard of that. What is that? Yes. What do you understand by that? But, and yes. and um, I was once teaching at a school and I actually got pulled to one side. They said, um, and it was all done in that whispery tone. There's there's a boy in there that's some. And I said, "Do you mean he's homosexual?" And I was like, "And this is the issue, isn't yeah. it? It's the adults yeah. who get caught up in the taboo. Yes. They get caught up in their own shame and embarrassment." Yes, 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 yes. And, and I just I just did a series of talks at a school who'd never had an outside educator come in and talk about sex, like they'd always done it in house. But a whole lot of stuff had happened with, um, you know, the boys were sending all these, you know, pics, dick pics to the girls. There was actually a sexual assault that they didn't even, the boy didn't even realise he was a sexual assault. Like he still had no idea. So there was all this stuff going on in this school and they were like, wow, we're we're not equipped to, to deal with this. So they got me to come in and, and we had a meeting beforehand and the meeting was very much around what are you going to talk about and maybe don't talk about this and talk about that. And as I sat in that meeting, I thought all these hang-ups here yours adults they're all the teachers and the adults hang ups these kids just need to know the information and I just was candidly like look this is what I talk about my absolute main goal and motivation here is to make 
these kids feel safe and comfortable so they can tell me whatever they want to tell me or they can ask whatever they want to ask. And I'm going to give them all this really amazing information so that then they can take that away and integrate it or do some more research to find out the answers to their questions. But I'm not going to limit myself because you guys are feeling a bit uncomfortable around this because it's a huge disservice to these young people and we have to be having these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just made me laugh then in terms of when... Um, when we, when I was with the company, they actually brought in the cyber babies, you know, these dolls that you can send home. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the, the person who was taking that class at the time was a male who'd never had a child. And I, I okay. kind of sat and as, as you do, kind of folded my arms and just went, this is going to be interesting, you know. Because <laughs> I was like... Oh, that poor guy. <laughs> book from a book, but actually you don't know what it's yeah. like to be really stressed at two o'clock in the morning. And, and, oh, and, and yeah. yet... What I actually said to the to these girls was, um, you know, you you are talking about the miracle of life here because I mm. think the other thing is is, is pregnancy and childbirth is yes. scaremongering. <gasps> these yes. these girls yes. are told it's gonna it's gonna rip you and it's gonna yes. oh, well, you know it's it's much much you know much much more beautiful than that and, and yes you know when I talked about um, to the girls about actually what you are doing is growing a baby inside you. And the thing mm. that I'm now learning, as I was saying to you, is, is I'm now helping uh, women, particularly young girls, mm. learn to change their bodies 18 mm. months, two years before they even leave. Because actually mm. you'll grow, it's, it's almost like you need to provide the, the growth environment yes. for a healthy baby. Yes. And we know... And- Oh, yeah, we know so much about toxins and, and I think... Yes, yes. Oh, look, I, I 100% agree with you. You know, one of I, I often try to teach... Some of the classes I teach, I usually teach boys and girls separately or, you know, yeah. just to really be able to talk about some different topics that are applicable to them and then some classes I do together. But for young girls and mainly 14 and 15-year-olds I teach, I do a big, big part on fertility, not and fertility in the sense of like let's understand what your body's actually doing let's be aware of what your cycle is and getting them to start tracking their cycle being mindful of how they're feeling their hormones even talking about which sounds they sound horrified in the beginning talking about mucus talking about okay this is what the vagina does right and this is it's like it's a guide it's telling you oh wow this is actually when I'm ovulating and this is when I'm fertile and to start again imprinting to these young women be aware of what your body's doing you know this is amazing your body it is so incredible and it's often it's always giving you feedback it's always giving you messages Mm -hmm. so if you can actually listen to that and become aware of that then that is going to help you as you grow and move you know into the years where you do want to have a baby or if you definitely don't want to have a baby then you realize okay that's where I'm fertile I need to be extra careful here and what happens here in Australia there's a really big push for um long acting a reversible contraception so the big push for young people is you know get get an implant on put in like you know put it in forget about it you know don't have then you won't get pregnant and you know I I I mean I'm very big on not telling anybody what they should or shouldn't do I think we're all individual but I do say to these young girls you really do need to do some research around that because I don't think we have enough data and information to say the impact of what that can be for our future fertility and I think when young people are first getting their period you know those first five or six years their hormones are finding their way and they're you know they're working um you know to to regulate and do all these kind of things and sometimes when we we smack kind of the contraceptive pill right on in there you know it masks a lot of what's going on underneath and then when we remove that pill then there's often a lot of other issues that come up so it's not i'm definitely not against contraceptive pill like i think you know it's there's absolutely amazing that we have choice out there but i do say to girls really do your research or if you do it go on the pill give your body a rest for six months and then go back on as well and you know those kind of things so that you're aware and also that all our bodies respond differently to it so even that conversation as opposed to the blanket all right just go on the pill you know to actually get girls to go let's take a look at what your body's saying to you you know how our bodies are designed to work the impact of what we eat stress sleep all those incredible things that make a huge difference you know to us as humans but especially when we're teenagers have a big impact on how our bodies respond you know and 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 again, my, my big push in all of this is get to know your body because your body is amazing and it's completely unique. And if you listen to it and get to know it, you know, then you're actually going, you know, you become your own best friend, which is a very mm-hmm. important thing. 
absolutely. And and that's that's kind of how I got into the biohacking uh, because of my age. Um, obviously, I'm not going to say exactly how old I am, but um, a, about two, three years ago, I started to notice that, you know, you hit these hills and there's one mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm heading towards that perimenopause, menopause, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I do not want to go the same mm. way that my mom and her mom and so yes. on and so on went. And yes. I actually started to do the research then. And it's mm. it's funny how you're talking about the contraception pill and, and well, mm. just contraceptions, uh, birth mm. control, uh, if it's hormonally based, because what I've mm. now learned through the biohacking and the, the mm. training that I was telling you about is I'm sitting with all these women that are actually estrogen dominant, they're hitting mm-hmm. the perimenopause mm-hmm. and they're having chaotic flushes mm-hmm. and so on. Mm. And when, when I sit and I do a history with them, it's mm. mainly to do with the number of contraceptions that they were on mm. at such an early age, and yes. how you know we didn't know yes. what we now what we now yes. do. Yes, so I think yes. The young girls, absolutely, what you're yes. saying. Yeah, and there. Look, if I can, I want to just show you. There's one of my colleagues, uh, an Australian um, doctor, a Chinese medicine doctor here called Nat Gringudis, has just launched a really amazing book called Beautiful You, which is for teenage girls. I actually got it here. One second, let me just grab it. Sorry for all of those watching at home. Um, here's the book, and I'll, I'll definitely send you a link to it so you can put it, you know, in the in the yep. notes to let people know. Um, it's called Beautiful You, and it's just come out, and it's for um, teenage girls. And look, all for all women to read really because she talks about everything we've just been talking about here about your hormones about how your body works about you know just the changes that happen through the teenage body and it's amazing there's not actually another book out there that I've found like this um it's like a beautiful guide for um for teenage girls it's you know it's certainly the book I wished I had read when I was 14 and 15. You know, Lael, I think I've got that down on my, and she says, picking up her folder of all the things that she's been <laughs> reading. This is yes. this is uh, one of the books that was in the training. That I'm oh, talking. great. Uh, yes, Excellent. there's a couple of them. Yes, um, great. Working with uh, teenagers and adolescents, I'm sure yes. that was... Um, Yes. I'll get caught up in flicking. Brilliant. So, yeah, so she, look, Nat, Nat is a real specialist in fertility and, and women's health. And, you know, yeah. she has done all the research to come back to where we are in this modern day and age and the impacts of stress and modern life and, and computers and all those kind of things and our bodies and hormones. It's really, it's a really wonderful resource. And I, you know, I mean, Nat's really passionate about taking that into high school so that women, uh, young girls can read it. And I'm a big advocate for that as well because I really do think it's information again that we need that our mothers just again often don't know themselves and aren't really talking to our teenage daughters about you know again often so much of my work is fueled from you know even I had a beautiful mother and a beautiful upbringing just so much of the information that I didn't get is what I'm really passionate about sharing with young people because I think it would make a huge difference you know stuff that you often come to in your late 20s and 30s and think how come nobody ever told me this about my body when I was 15 yeah I've I've spent a lot of time apologizing to my children so when I was doing psychotherapy training I was like I am so sorry I didn't know that and then I was like oh god I didn't do that then when I learned more about attachment I was like oh I and I spent going oh Oh, I know and that's where you've got to have so much compassion for yourself don't you because I look I really do believe we're always doing the best job we know how with the information we've got and it's never too late for healing and it's never too late for connection ever but yes I do relate I I absolutely relate (laughs) I have done had many of those conversations myself. Yeah, and I do. I uh, the compassionate statement that I tend to use for myself, and I now give to to my clients is you. You know, you can't be guilty about something you didn't know. Mm. Had you of have known and chosen to ignore the fact, mm-hmm. then then you get the, the, the you get the right, if you like, to feel guilty. Absolutely. Yes, know. and I. Uh, yes, I agree with you, and I, I think that my. My own learning from raising my beautiful children and all the the people I've worked with is that it's never too late for healing. It's never too late for connection. And even though, you know, we might not have had that information then, we do now and it's what we do with it now that makes a difference. And so much part of moving forward is that huge compassion for ourselves for the journey that we've had, you know, that we've been Mm. on. Absolutely. Yes. It's, you know, yeah. I'm just just thinking about the, um, the kind of teaching that you do so that there tends to be quite a lot about women um, mm-hmm. And rightly so, because actually we need a little bit more information than males because, you know, mm-hmm. we do we do carry babies. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just thinking about what education do you think um, should be out there for males and should be out there for females mm-hmm. and should be out there 
for people mm. who, you know, who are on the gender spectrum, who kind yes. of don't identify. I'm just thinking about mm. sexuality. Mm. Um, and this obviously <clears throat> is adding on to a little bit of the podcast from last week. Mm. Look, I mean, for me, I sit far more comfortably in, in talking to young women just because I am a woman. And I think because I know that journey for myself. And initially when I started doing this work, I was really just like, I just want to talk to young girls. And then I realised there was nobody talking to the young men. And part of me just went, you know shit look it's better that I'm giving them information than nobody but part of my biggest beef or what I've been saying for the last few years is there should be a young man teaching this to young men there Mm -hmm. should be another man I've been trying to rope my husband into doing it and he's just (laughs) he just looks at me and goes there's no way I'm standing up in front of a group of 16 year old boys I go but you'd be amazing because he's a really amazing man but I feel like you know on some level just if we're talking in that specific female male gender you know element that I do feel like you know young men need good strong men role models you know who have healthy relationships to sexuality who you know and I'm sure there's plenty of them out there I just I haven't really found anyone in the area where I am at the moment that's doing that work you know and I'm really open to finding anyone who does because I think it's really important that they have a role model on some level for for that healthy you know relationship to their bodies and to yeah. being a young man um I think when we look at the the beautiful what I actually love at the moment is the open conversations we're having about gender about sexuality about the vast array of, of where we can sit within that and I do talk a lot about that in my classes about that you know sexuality is as unique as your fingerprint you know we don't just fit into a box of it looks like this and it looks like that there is so much to it and you know it, it's sometimes tricky talking about the female body you know for those that actually have female anatomy this is how it works but then for others that might identify as male you know so we have to be mindful I think about the words we use and how we approach that and it's not necessarily my pocket of expertise but I do know that there are some people here particularly in Melbourne who do run workshops and classes more for children that are that identify in different ways and I think that's amazing and I really do support that there should be more because I think that's also just it's so new in the sense of the conversations we're having now I mean it's not new it's been around forever in in how people relate to their sexuality and who they are but I'm excited that we are actually opening up those conversations in a much bigger way now and my experience too from working with young people is that they are so open and accepting of people in all elements of their sexuality my daughter's high school the school captain for last year was a transgender student um, who identified as being female and everybody in the school knew and she was the school captain and she was well loved and respected and revered and she actually became the I think one of the young Australian um, people of the year you know and she does a lot of advocacy work and she's amazing and and in my experience the students are just they just take it all in their stride because it's just part of being a human whereas I think because we are having more of those open conversations which is excellent you know young children are just accepting that whereas I think our generation and older are still having a hard time about getting our head around that and I think we need to catch up as far as education and stuff goes within it so I'm definitely not an expert around it but I absolutely really support any information and and um, new education that can come you know for, for students that don't necessarily fit into that kind of heteronormative you know box yeah absolutely I was just thinking then of some of my clients as you were talking so I've had um in terms of clients who, who struggle, the conversations mm. that I do have are, are fascinating. I love how do you mm. go with an adolescent mm. in terms of, so what does that mean for you and what, mm. what do you think that's, that, that's about? So I mm. had um, a client who um, would technically have ticked the box for asexual. And the mm. conversation that we actually had was they weren't interested in sex. It didn't mean that mm. they were asexual, but mm. there was this thing about people were putting them into that box. They were kind of mm. saying, well, because you're not interested, you mm. must be asexual. Yes, you yes. hang around with uh, both males mm. and females, that must mm. make you bisexual. Yes, yes, yes. Say, I'm so bloody frustrated. Why do <laughs> I have to fit in a box? Yes, Why yes. Why just be? Yes, um, yes. And I absolutely love that about, I mean, I have a really soft spot for teenagers. Like they are just my most favourite you know, people, version of humans to talk to at the moment because, you know, I love this new wave of teens and even even though everyone's up in arms, I mean, I think every generation's up in arms around teenagers. If you look back over the time, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, they're wearing short skirts or they're doing this or doing that. And I 
just think, wow, they're just brilliant. The teenage years are amazing because they're they're extraordinary. Their brains are expanding in such a way where they're thinking outside of the box. There's so much innovation that goes on in that time. But they're also deeply confused about who they are in the world and 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 really all they're wanting is deep listening and compassion, you know, from people like we all do. And and I find that, you know, I absolutely love where what they're bringing through at the moment, particularly in terms of sexuality around what this looks like. You know, my, my 15 year old daughter, who is a strong feminist at the moment, she's really big on equality for women and men and all people. And she often, you know, is standing up for people at school and really vocal around, you know, consent and women, you know, really encouraging her friends to say no and be really clear around what their boundaries are. And I absolutely love this. I look at her and think, man, I wish I had have had those insights when I was your age, you know, because she's, there's this opportunity now for them to have a voice, you mm-hmm. know, and to speak up about this. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I really am. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm to the, uh, to the, mm-hmm. they need deep listening. Oh, I think mm-hmm. that might just be the title of the podcast, you know, for teenagers. <laughs> wow. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I get a little bit on, um, so my supervisor used to say this many, many years ago. She used to say, Kath, you're on your trusty steed again, you know, and I'd be like, right, I'm going to stand up for all of these teenagers. Yes. Because they yes. get such a hard knock in terms of um, the, the pathology that they're being, mm. if you like, diagnosed with. Well, they've got yes. this disorder. Look at them on mm. their phones. They're, they're yes. the terms that yes. I particularly despise, which are addicted and so on. Yes, yes. And actually, this is the, what they're trying to do is find their tribe. It's, it's yes. almost like... It's almost what I did when I was a teen. We all do it because, you know, um, those 10 years are really about separating from that that intimate Mm -hmm. family unit Mm -hmm. to figure out who you are in the world. But what they're craving amongst all that confusion is a safe place to kind of rest their head and go, wow, this feels really full on, you know, and there's all this pressure around schooling and and who am I as a sexual being and, and who am I even attracted to and is my body okay and do I belong in the tribe or not and do I even want to belong in the tribe? And and what, what I find they need is just someone to sit there with such empathetic compassion and go, oh, it's really hard. Yeah, tell me about it. And what else? And what else? And what else? Without any judgment, without any fixing... I mean, you know, as simple as it sounds, it's one of the hardest things to do as a parent is to just be quiet and Mm -hmm. listen and absolutely hold a space for them. And here's the beautiful thing is that when you actually turn up for them in that way and allow that to happen, they usually navigate themselves right back into what they need to do to come back into balance anyway, you know, because they just need that deep, beautiful listening. And, you know, that's also part of my work I do is really help around educating parents around how to come to that. And a lot of parents find that very tricky because that was never modelled to them. You know, most humans I find on the planet have never had that beautiful deep compassionate listening unless they pay for it in therapy you know but they've never had that really modeled to them from their own parents so it's very hard to bring that to your children when you don't have an a sense memory of that and so it's kind of educating parents just slowly slowly to to listen and to be present and to make yourself available energetically to your children so that they can fall into you and go wow you're my safe place here you know and I think that's the biggest gift we can give our kids yeah it's I'm I'm just thinking about the kind of parenting techniques I use with um my my clients and the client's parents because it depends Mm. on whether the client's an adult or or Mm. the parent of the client and I I quite often find myself particularly with adolescents and they might say something like um well they tell me to fuck off and I go good and they go Mm. pardon I beg your pardon Mm. and I say well you were a safe enough person yes absolutely and and you can speak what what <laughs> what do you mean my child's being disobedient <laughs> yeah yeah totally yeah yeah educating actually your job is to be this kind of buffer but yes. not to take it personally totally i yeah it's all about spiky and prickly uh, yes. i think dan siegel talks about the lion leaving the pack mm. has to create the 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 fight so that you yes. can manage it but we're not quite lions we don't have to no. And and this for me, you know, stems all the way to the beginning and often in my parenting workshops I say, 
you know, you're, you need to be that safe place. You need to be the anchor for their child, for all their feelings, for all their emotions, for all that bigness that goes on. Your job is to be that safe anchored space. Now, if you can start doing that from when your two-year-old's having tantrums and look behind the behaviour and know that what's going on is that your child's actually having a hard time, um, you know, that within that, you know, what you're doing is you're setting up this beautiful imprint in the child that says, I am safe for you to come to. You know, I am your safe place for when things feel hard. And then from that if we can continue to do that that moves into those teenage years that even when they are stretching themselves and even when things feel hard they still know in that imprint that you are a safe place to come to so if I mean the goal is that if we can start it when they're young you know it I have found from my own parenting and some of the parents I've worked with around where parenting we don't get all that pushback in the teenage years you know we don't get the slam doors and the the massive disconnection because the connection is so strong and and it's so um, deeply rooted in them they know that that feels good so there's still you know arguments and there's still them finding their way but ultimately there is such a deep level of connection and respect that they come back to you really quickly within that and and there isn't that huge issue and problem yeah I was just thinking then that actually I am going to put a disclaimer in, particularly for people who do know me. I'm not saying just because your child tells you to F off that you you accept everything that the child does. Yes, there is completely. There is a boundary to be held. Yes, um, oh, absolutely. And that's the other part of it. You know, it's that healthy, loving limit. It's the healthy boundary with that beautiful empathy and compassion and holding, you know, and that it's the balance of it. We can't just have one because then it, it feels unsafe. And then we also can't be all this really authoritarian way of being because because then there's no connection and, and, you know, that feels unsafe as well. So it's the absolute balance to do it, you know, and, and, you know, I agree with you. It's the hardest part of parenting is staying really anchored when there's a storm, you know, it's easy to be a great parent when your kids are really connected and you're laughing and it all feels good. But when your child's having a really hard time, you know, the hardest job is to stay really anchored and go, my child's having a hard time. And what they need from me is to be this really calm anchored spot so that they can, you know, be wild out there and then come back into balance and it's that that holding of them that allows them to process what's going on and come back into alignment but you know it's so easy to say in theory isn't it (laughs) because it all just pushes up all your own stuff (laughs) emotional regulation is probably the term that I spend most of my time explaining to everybody um, including my own children Um, you know and I've I've, you know I do um, in in terms of uh, therapeutic processes one of the things we're and I want to go psychotherapy police is going to get but we're not supposed to self-disclose but Mm. you know what sometimes I I do sit with parents and go hey I get it wrong I tell them you know and I slam the door and I go off and then I have to come back and go actually do you know what Mm. I didn't quite get that right did I and I'm I'm sorry uh I'll try not to do it again but hey ho I am a human you you and I were in a place where you know my buttons were pressed and I realized probably not in the best way yes Um, and that's you know I often say the beauty of that is that you're actually modeling um that you get things wrong you're modeling what it's like to apologize you're modeling what it's like to own your behavior which is also incredibly beautiful teaching for your children how do we expect them to do that if we're also you know if we're these perfect parents which nobody is you know we also have the opportunity there absolutely to model what that's like to be human to make mistakes to reconnect to apologize you know yeah well, I think in, in terms of the, the kind of podcast content here, what, what I'm hearing is when we do do this, actually what we do get are the conversations that, that mean that, say, for example, our child has seen something on the internet. So this mm. might include slightly younger children as well, that they, mm. they've seen something that was pornographic or mm. um, disturbing or they're mm. not quite sure what it was. Actually, it then, it then allows them to come forward and have these conversations. So yes. you're able you're able to sit with them and monitor their safety in terms of emotional mm-hmm. safety, psychological yes. safety and internet safety. Yes. Yeah, and look, one of the things I do talk to parents about, which, uh, you know, I know there is research out there to back this up. It, it really is that 
when kids are deeply connected to their family unit, when they feel safe, when they feel that sense of connection and that it's okay to come to mum and dad with anything. And there is that, there's that safety in their bodies at home, you know, because they feel that that's been their attachment imprint. When they do come across things like pornography, you know, it doesn't feel good for them to watch because what feels good is connection. What feels good is that, that knowing in their bodies that this actually feels nice. When they watch something like pornography, it often is very just, it's like, it feels a bit yuck. It feels a bit dirty because their natural alignment is to something that feels true and, and good. And, you know, what I have found is that, you know, where the kids are watching a lot of pornography and they're really in that, that that's really consuming them a lot is because there's a massive lack of connection in their world at that time that is not drawing them back into that. And so we need to start with more of that beautiful connection. We can't just say to these kids who are watching a lot of porn, don't do it, it's bad for you, because there's nothing else that's going to hold them, you know, to, mm-hmm. to really counteract that dopamine hit they get, that sense of safety and security, you know, there's nothing there holding that. So we need to bring it back to, okay, how do I stay even more connected with my child? How do I allow them to offload their feelings? How do I help them process what's ever going on for them so that they're not needing to swing to this other way to numb themselves out or to be consumed with that? I mean, you know, look, pornography has got many issues, but I find that we go because we, you know, kids are looking at it because they want to learn how it all happens um, or they then become in that loop of, wow, this is actually giving me a thrill, you know, especially if they're masturbating to it. It's setting up that whole imprint in their brains, the dopamine, all that kind of stuff. And then they want to go back for more and more and more because that's the only thing that's really giving them that, that feeling in their being. Yeah, one of my favourite talks about pornography, and I now I now plagiarise his phrase, um, is Jamie Wheel, who um, so I, I follow um, the, the people who run the Flow Genome Project. And Jamie mm-hmm. Wheel says, and when you're, and he goes, in inverted commas, successful at watching mm-hmm. pornography, and I'm like... Mm-hmm. Successful, I like that. I like that. Watching pornography. Actually, there is no, um, I think the way that he described it, there's no evolutionary um, bonus mm-hmm. to watching mm-hmm. pornography. So mm. it becomes this habit and that's the drug. Mm. And, and yes. absolutely, uh, I can definitely say that all of my therapy clients who are um, watching pornography, mm. particularly the ones who are going for mm. the more extreme versions, they are mm. definitely suffering with attattachment issues and disconnection issues. Yes, Every of course. Yes. Um, and yeah, and what comes with that as well is, is you know, the, the shame that comes with that is so big, is so crippling for young people as well. And to even have the conversations about it, I mean, one of the anonymous conversations, I always um, give the kids opportunities in high school to write me any question anonymously. And without doubt, there's at least five or six in the group that says how much is too much porn, you know, and, and we, have, we have lots of conversations around that about what is too much and why we're doing it and what that feels feels like and and the shame that comes from doing something that they know they shouldn't be doing but they can't stop it then who can they talk to about it all those kind of things and again it's trying to find ways to not shame children or or teens or adults even for doing this but actually going okay what's missing from me in my world that is you know that is drawing me to do that And, and, you know, again, I, I kind of come back to, you know, my big passionate work is absolutely around creating connection and intimacy and with families, you know, and so again, if we can start at a young age by imprinting in our kids, you know, around healthy sexuality, around these conversations, building connection, listening to feelings, all that kind of stuff, then we are far less likely to end up in those teenage years with kids that are sitting in this space, you know, and, and that doesn't just apply to pornography, that applies to taking drugs and drinking and, you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of behaviours because they, they don't really need to because there's no need to numb themselves out because they're feeling connected as a human. Yeah, well, well, that just brings us right the way back to the conversation that we had, which is all about trauma and all about the polyvagal um, system mm. because actually yes. that feeling of safety and trauma, it's, it's yes. all tangled up. Um, and you, you you don't heal from trauma when you don't have that that connective 
uh, yes. interpersonal relationships. Yes. So yes, that was that was kind of it. I'm just thinking, Lael, that that's a, that's a way that we've kind of gone it's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and look, then the next piece of that is, is to parents. I just say, look, being a parent is the most intense job. It's so full on, right? And most of us come to parenting with our own trauma on board, you know. And you know, in an ideal world, we'd work through all our trauma and crap as we grow, so that when we become parents, we're these beautiful, clean vessels, you know, that are that are completely connected and are going to raise our children in that way. But I don't really know anyone that has successfully done that because we live in this human world and we're all growing and learning. But what you can do is do the work, you know, and when I say do the work, I say to people, just as a parent, get in touch with what does this feel like for me? Every time your buttons start to get pushed with your child, go, this is about me. This is tapping me into something around where I'm not getting my needs met or something that's happened from the past or what is it that I need to do? Do I need to have some listening time with someone? Do I need to go and work with a therapist about it? Because the more of your own crap that you can sort out, the less you're going to place on your children's shoulders. And our kids do not want to be carrying our crap, right? They spend most of their time going, get that off. I don't want this. This is not me. And that's what society sees as inappropriate behavior or naughty children, all that kind of stuff. And really our kids are just going, hey, this doesn't belong to me, parent. This is your stuff, right? So the more work you can do on your own story, you know, and then have a lot of compassion with yourself and then turn up each day with your goal of of staying connected and doing the work, then it's an ongoing journey and that's where you can have, you know, beautiful harmony in families. But you have to do the work, you know, and and I wish it was a one, two, three quick magic fix, but there is no one, two, three magic fix. You know, you have to be willing to look at your staff, do the work, get the support, so then you can turn up for your kids in the way that you want to and that they kind of are deeply desiring you to. And it's difficult. And I'm going to say, and a start off a 10 for anybody who is interested, go read Parenting from the Inside Out. Yes, brilliant. Dan Siegel and Mary brilliant. Hartle. Yes, brilliant. Yes. This book, that's, that's the way yes. of introducing you to, um, you know, what shit you're carrying. <laughs> so- totally. Yeah. And even like another book that I often recommend, that's a really simple step-by-step to just even start parenting this way is Listen by Patty Whipler um, from Hand in Hand Parenting. Really simple five kind of step book around, you know, how we can actually turn up for our kids with connection, you know, with listening, with looking at our own needs, all that kind of stuff. And it's a very simple, easy book to, as a starting place for a lot of parents to go, how do I create more connection and how, how can we, you know, raise, I mean, everybody always, we're all doing the best job we know how. This is what I always come back to in my groups and saying you you have to have compassion for yourself because you were raised in a certain way and that is the imprint, right? And we're wanting to change that, you know, if if you're not happy with that. So that, that takes time and you have to be gentle compassionate with yourself and we all make mistakes you know and and the beautiful thing about humans is that we can always heal and repair you know and and that even when we do make mistakes you know there is beauty within that as well but we want to keep moving towards deeper connection yeah i i i think that would be a beautiful place to stop because i think that sums it up so well lael um and also (laughs) as predicted we've gone on slightly longer than uh, we intended so yes. I'm aware I'm aware that um, it's the beginning of your day where you are in Melbourne yes. and you know yes. there's a lot of sunshine to be had so yes there is thank you very much for coming on and having this conversation oh um, thank you I, I would love to to have another conversation with you at some point and and kind of come back and do more about this because I think this is exactly what I wanted to talk about in cyber synapse and I've done mm. some lovely conversations with people about attachment mm. and about mm. connection and I think it kind of fits the whole remit of what I'm trying to get at. Mm. This is, this oh. is about parenting in, in 2018, mm. 2019 and yes. we're, we're still learning. Oh, completely. And, you know, I thank you for having me, Catherine. Thank you for the work you're doing. It's so important in the world. You know, I'm deeply passionate about trying to create more harmony in families and within ourselves. And I think any conversation we can have around this is for me just a blessing. You know, I just, I feel, you know, I feel really honoured. Thank you for having me, you know, on your show and and for the work that you're doing. It's so needed. So needed. Thank you. Mm. podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.